0: Does it sound good now?
1: It still sounds good. Still? Yeah. Okay. Join counselors Pablo and Arthi as they discuss two sides of one coin, procrastination and perfectionism. We're here today. We're going to be talking about the concept of perfectionism on this podcast and I thought who better to talk to than my colleague uh, Arthi who's a counselor at GDC as well as, uh, as me and who, who identifies as a recovering perfectionist. So Arthi, hello.
0: Hi everyone. I'm so excited to talk about this today. It's one of my favorite topics.
1: It's a super interesting topic and it comes up a lot um, with students. Mm-hmm. And I think that seems like a natural thing. You know, students are, are trying to do things really well. And that's what yeah. I want to talk about. What is what is doing well and what is reaching for perfectionism? And it, is that even something that's desirable to be perfect? So, Arfi, yes. what is perfectionism?
0: Well, I think as I reflect on my own life about it, I realized that as a student and both as a professional. It's something that I've really had to understand when it's helpful and when it's getting in the way and what's kind of underneath it. Um, So I'm so excited to talk about all those different parts. And I think one thing that's really important with perfectionism that I've kind of noticed and a lot of people in the field talk a lot about perfectionism. One of them is Brene Brown, if people are interested. She has a book called The Gifts of Imperfection, which tells you a lot about it and would do a really good job in defining it. Um, But what I've learned is how we have in our society kind of talked about this as such a positive thing. Right? And I think it just really stands out to me when I remember when I would go for interviews and you would get prepped to think about, well, what's your, when you're asked, like, what is your weak point? Well, it was true. Like my weak point was that I was a perfectionist, but this was an answer that was usually seen positively. And I think that's such a big part of like the fact that it's something that we're encouraged to strive for even within school environment, how do we find that balance between doing well, succeeding, learning everything versus feeling that everything has to be perfect? Can I yeah. ask you,
1: uh, where where do we exhibit or where does perfectionism come up? Like what aspects of life does, does perfectionism appear in?
0: Yeah, so that was something I learned as well in like um, some of my older jobs where I worked. Um, I learned that perfectionism, you know, we often think it's accomplishment oriented. So we think we see it in our work when we're trying to work on an assignment. Maybe we have 10 assignments. We want every assignment to be perfect, right? And then we can't keep up. So that's like one place we might notice it. But then there's all these other places it can show up too. And it doesn't show up for everyone in every place. So there's a lot of people who might actually be perfectionists, but they don't really know that because they're like I'm not a perfectionist I'm a procrastinator I never get anything done right and we'll, I'm we'll definitely talk about that but it can show up in every part of your life so some people might have more of this type of higher expectation which is a really big part of perfectionism, this idea that there is a perfect or if or that there is some standard that's almost perfect that you want to continue to uh, strive towards. And that can happen with like body image, that can happen in relationships, like how you show up in a relationship, what you expect from the partner in the relationship. Mm. Um, this can happen with like, you know, your routine, your diet, it can show up in all parts of your life. It's just going to look a little bit different. And again, some level of like striving and ambition is healthy. But then how do we know when it's at a point where it's actually not helping us?
1: It sounds like it can be an unhealthy pressure on your
0: life. Yeah. It's definitely a pressure. And I think the thing is, it just feels so good to accomplish things. Mm. Like there is a reward piece to it too. Like when, if I have an A plus average, that feels amazing. Right. And, you know, for me personally, growing up, I was always a strong student in school. It was a place where I got a lot of positive reinforcement. So my teachers had told me, Arthi, you're not going to have a problem when you go to university. You're not going to struggle. That was not true at all. So I had such a hard time at the beginning figuring out, okay, how do I not take this struggle personally as though it's somehow like a reflection of my ability or even my identity or my work?
1: Mm. So it's tied to the concept of self and, and your value.
0: Definitely, yeah. And I think one of the interesting things that I learned that was also really hard to learn was that um, underneath perfectionism, often it's about like, I these accomplishments make me feel like um, good, but without them, how do I feel? Do I feel enough? Do I feel worthy? Do I feel like my self-esteem is still good? Or is my self-esteem kind of going up and down based on like the accomplishment that I'm measuring myself up against? And okay. for some people, it's grades. For some people, it's their weight. For some people, it's the other things like how the feedback they're getting from others about how great of a friend they are or how caring they are or w- whatever it might be. Right.
1: So I, so I know from my own experience that being a student um, is difficult, and being an adult yeah. student for sure, right, in post-secondary education is, mm-hmm. is really difficult, and there are things going on in anybody's life that can hinder their performance in terms of grades. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you happen to be one of these people that puts a lot of weight on grades, and maybe some of your self-esteem is connected to grades, mm-hmm. that seems like a recipe for a disaster because you're not going to always be able to get an A. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I think the thing is that, you know, one thing that's really important to recognize is that usually the things we're striving for are justified, right? I want to do well in school so that I can get a good job. I can get good recommendations from my professors so I could get the coveted internship. You know, I live in a world that's more competitive my field is competitive whatever it might be and if we're looking at it in different parts of our life it could be the same it could be the same as well I need to be healthy and in order to be healthy I need to do these particular things right Mm
1: -hmm.
0: or you know we see a lot of value in ourselves being someone who is very caring and giving so we're always trying to be emotionally available all the time and we can make that a perfectionistic thing. If I didn't procrastinate and I like put in the effort and I just did this thing, whatever it is, by the deadline.
1: Oh right? yes, I, I think I can relate to that more than the grades. Like I can relate to wanting to be a good person, whatever that means mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. And, that, and and when I don't meet that, my my whatever criteria I have for that, it's painful.
0: It's painful, exactly. And I think like that's the why I jokingly say I'm still a recovering perfectionist because as much as I've learned about it, as much as I keep reminding myself, you know, to work on the different strategies I'll share later, um, it's a work in progress. It takes time to really recognize where it's coming from for you and how do I learn to still, you know, pursue my passion or my ambition but not let it define how I'm going to feel? So I'm not on this emotional roller coaster where if I get really good, I'm just going to use the example of grades because it's more concrete mm-hmm. that if I get really good grades, I feel really great about myself that week. And if I don't, then I feel not so great, right? Yeah. And I think I think one thing that really helped me Actually, I'll share a couple things that really helped me shift my mindset and narrative to even realize that this was a problem for me was two things. One, someone had explained to me an analogy of a coin and how there's two sides of a coin, heads and tails, and that one side is perfectionism and one side is procrastination. Mm and when that clicked in my mind i realized there is a cycle between procrastination and perfectionism where sometimes when i was a student i didn't do my homework does that make sense or <laughs> that i didn't go to class and it was because maybe i was overwhelmed and mm. and the relief i felt from like doing self care or You know what i told myself i was taking care of myself i needed a break um but that was because my expectation was that things had to be all like they had to look a certain way it's almost all or nothing right and and sometimes this people who tend to kind of be on the more procrastination side sometimes we have to think about as a student or as an individual think about okay what would happen like what's my worst fear right and then people start to notice are we expecting it to look a certain way and then if we don't put in the effort and then we get a bad mark for example then although that feels bad it doesn't feel as bad as if we had put in all the effort and got a bad mark you see what i mean
1: i can totally relate to this yes
0: tell me What do you feel like sharing?
1: Well, I'm thinking about my own hesitancy to enter a post-secondary program because I was afraid of failure. And to the point Mm -hmm. where I didn't want to even try because I thought, well, what if I put in all of my effort and it Uh turns out that I'm not good enough?
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah, that that definitely was a big realization for me as well. It's something I still have to overcome if I have a goal that feels intimidating or that I feel like is more of a dream. Well, how do I turn this dream into a reality? Well, now I have to make practical steps towards it, which means I have to believe that like I can do it. And if I fail, it doesn't mean that there's like, that somehow defines me. Does that make sense?
1: Completely. That's what I was afraid of. I was afraid of failing and then that would, I would be defined or I would define myself by that failure.
0: Mm Hmm. And so I think that's where it's so important to understand that link between perfectionism and procrastination. And I think the, the second realization I had that I was gonna share was, this took a while, but for me to realize that, so when I would accomplish things, my bar for perfectionism would get higher. And then when I would reach that or get close to that, my bar for perfectionism would be higher. Mm. So it was like this, there was no like real end goal that I could actually meet. It was always this gap between how much I can accomplish and somehow where I want to get to and somehow that defining some level of not enough. Mm. Does that make sense?
1: You know, if you keep putting that bar up, that seems like a recipe for, for guaranteed failure, because eventually you're going to put the bar so high that you, you can't possibly reach it.
0: Exactly. And that's how you know perfectionism. The one of the telltales of why perfectionism becomes a problem, right? Mm-hmm. So going back to all the areas in which you can be a perfectionist, Not everyone's a perfectionist in every part of their life. Some people, this is why we use the term, oh, so-and-so is a workaholic. Mm. So if I'm trying to be perfect at work, what happens to all the other parts of my life that I don't like intentionally think about also in this perfectionistic way?
1: Right, so something's gonna have to fall to the wayside if the only way to be, yeah, if, if being a workaholic is the only way to achieve perfection at work and that's what you value,
0: Mm-hmm. Other things are going to
1: have to suffer for that.
0: Yeah, and I think the challenge is that when those things suffer, as a perfectionist, what do we do? We blame ourselves and say, mm-hmm. well, you should have seen this coming. We, The expectation is somehow that we can predict the future, that we can kind of know what's going to happen. And if we don't, then that's not because we're human. It's because we need to be better than that.
1: One thing that I'm hearing is that we need to decouple our value or our sense of self mm-hmm. uh, from accomplishment.
0: Yeah, it's tough to do though.
1: Yeah, how do we go about doing that? What does that process look like?
0: Oh, wow, that's such a big question. <laughs> um, how do we do that? How do we find value in ourselves without looking to, accomplishments whether it's in school or relationships or other things so Bernie I'll go back to Bernie Brown her gifts of imperfection book the very first chapter talks about authenticity Mm -hmm. so I know that word has been popular in um, mainstream media and she really defines what it means to be authentic I would say I had to spend the most time there before I moved on to the other chapters mm. because it's the most important thing, but it's also the toughest thing. And she talks about it as hustling for your worthiness. Mm. And I realized that's what I, when I keep cha- moving that bar up, 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 I'm just hustling and hustling. And, you know, my, my life, however it is, might be someone else's perfect. Mm right so again it's so subjective it's not something you could ever really achieve so then you know the brain tricks itself and says okay so i can't achieve perfection but i could achieve like close to perfection or 90 percent or whatever grade you like loved in school do you know what (laughs) i mean yeah and again that's why it's so important to think about it as am i hustling Or my worthiness? Am I chasing something so that I can feel good? And if that's what's happening, then you're not engaging in that thing in an authentic way. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's more about like self-esteem goes up and down and that's based on accomplishment. Whereas self-worth is this just innate feeling that you're deserving of love and kindness, that you're a good person. And it and you know, I I would think about it this way. It's like if I didn't have anything and I lived under a bridge, would I still like myself? Mm -hmm. And whatever that feeling is, like that's self-worth. So part of that process, that difficult process, is to actually increase your self-worth instead of chasing Mm self-esteem.
1: As an example, say that, you know, I want to develop a better sense of self and I want to love myself a little more. What's like something that I could practice to get that started?
0: Yeah, so um, I think the first step is like to recognize what drives your perfectionism or procrastination, right? So understanding your cycle and understanding like what your fears are Mm. um and it could be a fear of failure it could be a fear of success and i think the fear of success we don't talk so much about it's like if i accomplish everything i want to accomplish and i remember describing it to a friend this way uh, saying that, you know, I'm standing, I feel like I'm standing on, on an edge and I'd, all I see is darkness and it's because I had just finished my schooling and that was my goal and now I'm like, well, what's my next goal? So it's like always having something to um, achieve, there's a comfort in that, mm. right? And so I think part of it is uh, recognizing that you you have this uh, fear, there's some fear that's driving it. Whether it's a fear of failure, fear of success, but more importantly, what would that mean about you,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Because it's a, it's everyone's afraid of failing. But are we does that? Are we taking that to another level where we say then it means I'm blank?
1: Do you find this to be a very common thing amongst students? This sense of accomplishment tied to uh, self-worth
0: definitely mm-hmm. definitely I do think it's a big thing and I think that it makes sense because it it is coming it does start out from a good place right we want to have motivation we want to pursue our passions it's when does our like when we're kids and we have this passion we love to draw let's say we love to paint and then maybe you're in a program like I don't know I'll just use an example interior design or something that this thing that you had so much passion for, it becomes now um, a goal that you have to accomplish. And if Mm -hmm. you don't, it means something, right? So I think the first, once you recognize your cycle, you recognize the fears and what that, how you in your mind define that fear in terms of your identity. Mm -hmm. And the next piece is to think about, okay, if I'm gonna show up more authentically, then how do I connect back to that initial passion that I had and why I love this thing?
1: This discussion about <clears throat> your original passion, and you invoked the, the word uh, children, I think, and I'm thinking about how children begin to develop their sense of self and their mm-hmm. values, and then begin to adopt some of their own. So. Is Can some of this be tied to parental pressure from childhood?
0: I don't know as much about that, but I would assume it's just like trickle down from society, right? Mm. So I think it's a side effect of, you know, we're an accomplishment oriented society. And that's, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I think it's about recognizing what are we reinforcing? Mm -hmm. Um, And we often reinforce external motivation instead of internal. And and becoming authentic is reconnecting with your internal motivation. So Mm -hmm. I'll explain what I mean by that. So, for example, I didn't care about spelling. But I do remember when I was young, I loved stickers. And I would always get stickers if all of my, and I was grade two or grade three, if all of my um, like spelling words were spelled correctly, I'd get a sticker. So I became more motivated to do that, even though I didn't actually care that much about it, right? And to this day, I still use stickers to <laughs> reinforce things I've done, I'm not gonna lie. You give yourself um, stickers? Yes, I do, I give That's myself fantastic. stickers, I do, um, but the that's an external motivation and it's not like external motivation is all bad it's just when that's the overwhelming motivation instead of internal motivation right whereas like an internal motivation might be different like if let's say there is a kid who loves spelling and wants to enter a spelling bee there's some internal motivation there because there's something that this person loves about this particular, like it's the same kind of um, activity, but they genuinely internally feel good about it. So it's about, are we reinforcing how well they did in the spelling bee, or are we reinforcing their love for it?
1: Mm. Oh, that's, yeah, that's such a good question. And so important to recognize when we're maybe pushing people too hard and in the wrong direction by rewarding them um, for maybe even self-destructive behavior.
0: Yeah, like what do, you, what do you think of when you mention that?
1: I'm thinking about like uh, workaholics or so-called workaholics and mm-hmm. we they get rewarded, right? Their bosses like them or are pleased with their performance. People find them to be attentive to things, and even though it's causing harm in their, maybe in their personal lives or maybe they're stressed out or maybe they get sick.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that reminds me of when I entered the workforce and I will be very happy to share this little antidote. So when I finished my schooling and I entered the workforce, I would always be like, and this was not an expectation of the workplace I worked at. So it was almost funny because it didn't necessarily like, um, it wasn't the work culture there, but I just had this feeling that I need to show up all dressed up right like I would do my hair my makeup I'd wear my nice heels and this wasn't really the expectation of the workplace it was just more like a comment that was shared like that you want to look professional and this was Mm -hmm. my uh, um, interpretation of what professional meant and like I'm not a naturally a type of person who who was always like that so this was an effort And it did make me feel good. And I'm not going to say that, you know, that can't be authentic for someone else. But for me, it wasn't very authentic. I was literally painting on, uh, you know, this this image that I was projecting. Mm -hmm. And although I got a lot of like positive reinforcement, you know, it was it took some time for me to realize that this was the persona that I had when I went into work. Of the person I thought I had to be Or how I had to look Or how I had to dress And it didn't even click to me That my colleagues were not doing that Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? So Mm -hmm. almost in a way that I was gaining attention Not intentionally what I was looking for But it was coming more from my own sense of Feeling of inadequacy That like this In order to be professional I need to Um make this type of effort and that's something I learned from the culture of our society what being professional means and I think now that I think back to it I think it's kind of funny because I realized that in some ways it was self-care and in other ways it was encouraging me to show up in a way that I wasn't being authentic.
1: Mm -hmm. So Arthur, we've been working together now for a couple of years I think and Mm -hmm. i think that you're a snappy dresser but you're not coming to work um dressed to the night how, (laughs) how, how did you you look great but how did you change that how did you how first of all how did you recognize it and then what did you do about it
0: well because i became friends with my colleagues and when they were like you know like jokingly would we would talk and i realized oh my god i never even really noticed that like when i come into a meeting like I gained so much attention just because like my outfit looks so nice <laughs> Do you know what I mean mm-hmm. and I was just try- I was actually just trying to fit in but it was not occurring to me that I was making so I was making such an effort to fit in that I was standing out so that's why I find it a little ironic but I think the other piece was just as I got more comfortable with myself as I did this work on perfectionism I never set out to make a change to how I showed up to work it was just a natural change and side effect of me choosing to live every aspect of my life more authentically mm. and that meant that I went back to you know in, embracing those things except in a way that felt more me if that even makes sense
1: more more that spoke more to your values and who you are who you wanted to
0: be yeah like I still like you know feel professional i just now feel like myself when i'm at work instead of this image of you know whatever my role is does that Mm. make sense yes yeah so i think like i just wanted to share that in terms of the piece around how do you be authentic well i think it's in all the little little ways recognizing in all the little little ways how are you not being authentic Mm -hmm. How are you hustling? How are you um, projecting more of an image of yourself, right? Because Brene Brown also talks about why we do that because being vulnerable is risky. And if I show up as my true self, then I could be rejected. Does that make sense? And like, we're not really necessarily thinking about it that way, but that's actually what's underneath the surface. Right? And so I think it is a difficult ask when Brene asks us to show up authentically. She's actually asking us to be vulnerable and she talks about that. And the reason we don't want to be vulnerable is because we're afraid of being rejected, being shamed, um, not being not being accepted or liked, right?
1: Yes. Um, I'm also now thinking, based on what you just said about, if I'm my more authentic self, maybe I can actually get my real needs met
0: because Mm -hmm. I can actually
1: address what they are because I don't have to pretend to be perfect. I don't have to pretend to be super confident or competent. I can have gaps in knowledge and ask for help and ask for support.
0: That's so tough. And I think, um, you know, I know that this is a very difficult thing to do. But it can be so beautiful too when you show up, and I'm just gonna use the example of workplace, but think about it in your relationships too, right? Like two people who are in a relationship, do we have our wall up? Do we really let the other person see our flaws? And when we do and they accept us, think about how beautiful that love is, that security, that connection, how deeper the love feels, mm. right? But Maybe we've had a couple of breakups and now we've decided that, you know what, I'm I'm going to be in this relationship, but I don't want to lose myself. So I'm going to be uber independent and I'm not going to let the other person in.
1: Hmm. That sounds painful. Like there's always going to be that distance.
0: Yeah. And so how do you close that gap? Right. Because so the thing with perfectionism is it creates disconnection. In order to have real connection, you have to let people see you. Wow. I know. Those are not my words. I'm not that wise. It's just what I've (laughs) learned. You're very wise.
1: But (laughs) it also, it just feels like even in my body when you said that, it feels like, it feels so risky. And yet, I know what the reward can be uh, when you do put up a little risk, you know?
0: That's that's why I said that the first chapter is the hardest. there are other things that she talks about you can do and you can like if anyone wants to get that book that's just the book that helped me a lot you know there's lots of other resources too but I really like Brene Brown's work that's my bias but um you know people can start with other chapters that are easier but I think it would still require doing this work.
1: Marthy, what tools have you used and what has support looked like for you in your
0: journey with perfectionism? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So there are some different tools that I learned from Brené Brown's book. One of them is called A-E-I-O-U and Y. So that one actually pretty much summarizes most of the different things that she talks about. So I'll go ahead and talk about it. Um, I don't use this one necessarily every day, but I think for someone who's starting out, it would be a good idea to do that. So A stands for abstaining, meaning what is this habit that I have when I procrastinate? What's the thing that I do when I procrastinate that I need to stay away from? So I was listening to another podcast about perfectionism by a a life coach, um, and we can put it in the in the resources I don't remember the person's name right now but they talked about procrastinating, cleaning, researching um, and I just like that word really stuck with me because of course ironically as I was listening to the podcast I was procrastinating, cleaning um, and it's like you know sometimes we choose really productive things to do but we're actually procrastinating. And for some people, it could be, you know, reading avidly, it could be scrolling social media. And you'll know what the thing is that you do to avoid the anxiety or the shame. And shame is one of those feelings that comes up a lot. It's like an embarrassed feeling. Um...
1: So glad that you're bringing up the word shame. I think it's something that there's not a lot of support in the world to talk about shame
0: yeah and Brené talked about that in one of her books where you know many years back even therapists who wanted to study the topic of shame were discouraged from doing that so it's really interesting to see like you know if we have to embrace talking about shame and understanding our own shame if we're going to help others with theirs right Mm -hmm. and so that's the a and then the e is exercise so we may have heard this like a million times and it's still a weak area for me but exercise it's again how do i do that without being a perfectionist about it so it's like even if you can only commit to 30 seconds a minute two minutes What's a small, small, small thing you can do to exercise? Mm. And even if it's just neck stretches because you've been on the computer all day, Mm. even if it's getting up, walking to, walking downstairs to the living room to pour yourself a glass of water, right? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, And I think it's about keeping the expectation small enough that even on a day when you're stressed, it feels doable
1: Mm -hmm. right right? you can can accomplish it no matter what conditions are are happening around.
0: yeah because um if i'm like yeah i'm gonna exercise for half an hour three times a week and i have 10 assignments due Mm -hmm. it's not happening that week and then i'm gonna feel bad about it and then that defeats the purpose of the tool
1: right Oh, that's so good, right? Because if you hold yourself up to that perfectionist standard and you say, I'm going to get it all done and exercise, and you don't get it all done and exercise, then it creates pain.
0: Yeah, and then you're setting yourself up to fail. And this tool, remember, is not meant to be used as like another to-do list item on your to-do list, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and so then there's the AEI. So I is for me. What can I do for myself today? So again, making this really small enough that it feels manageable and doable. So if you ask yourself this question daily, if you go through the AEIOU and Y daily, then each day will be different. Maybe one day you're like, you know, I can can take that bubble bath today. Mm. And maybe the next day is the only thing I really feel the capacity to do for myself today is make sure I drink enough water right?
1: That seems like an exercise in in showing yourself uh, some love and respect.
0: Yeah. And then the next one is, oh, what can I do for others? Mm -hmm. Now, again, if you're the type of person who's a perfectionist in relationships, then you're going to have to balance this one out and kind of think about what's a small thing I can do for others versus trying to do everything.
1: What's an example of like an accomplishable small thing to do for others
0: like maybe acknowledging something that someone did or a strength that they have that you genuinely appreciate and highlighting that mm-hmm. or you know if you live with the roommate and it feels like they're usually the one who puts away the dishes and unloads the dishwasher and you feel you have the capacity and the energy to do that right
1: okay, so so manageable small manageable things gestures
0: yeah and it's not necessarily like and this is the difference you don't need to tell the roommate hey i unloaded the dishwasher so they can say thank you for doing that that's self esteem <laughs> it's okay. more it's more you just doing it and then feeling good about it yourself and i'm not I was going to ask
1: you how am i going to get my praise if i don't let them know that
0: i did <laughs> Yeah, like, I'm sure, like, I'm not saying never ask for praise or acknowledgement, of course, like, I'm not a Zen Buddha, but I'm just saying, like, you know, do you need that every single time? Right. Then you're hustling for your worthiness, Mm -hmm.
1: right? Okay. So the motivation matters why why I'm doing something.
0: Yeah, of course. In a relationship, you know, it's important to acknowledge each other and what you're doing for each other. I'm just going to use the example of a relationship. But at the same time, are you going to be like, hey, I unloaded the dishwasher. I did the dishes and I took out the garbage today. Where's my thank you? Guilty feeling that is usually under the surface with perfection. So like we're not we don't want to do that. Right. I
1: don't know. I, it, it reminds me of things that I thought and said.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that's, that's what I'm saying. So then if that's the kind of, like if we're keeping score, then, then we're not really genuinely doing something for the other person. We're doing it for the uh, acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. So that's the A-E-I-O. You is what is unexpressed. So this is about any unexpressed feelings that are happening for you that day. And it's important to recognize that. And it's not necessarily that you have to sit there and journal and process it. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. It depends on the person and the day. But it's more that you um, think about just acknowledging the feelings. I feel sad, Um, the pandemic really sucks and bothers me a lot today. Or, you know, I'm feeling lonely or I'm feeling anxious. I'm having a lot more fear of failure today because I have an exam, right? It's just recognizing what's unexpressed.
1: You know, before we started recording today, you checked in with me and you asked me how I was feeling. And I shared with you that I was feeling kind of depleted and tired. Mm-hmm. And you asked me what I could do about that. So for, you helped, you supported me to become aware of my feelings. And then you also gave me a moment to go make myself a coffee and you chatted with me. And that was enough time for me to process a little anxiety and we relaxed. And then Mm -hmm. we began recording and that felt so good.
0: Yeah, well, I'm glad. I think it's just we have to encourage each other to have that space to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Because this is about like we talk about sustainability in terms of the environment. But what about sustainability in terms of in terms of our own mental health and sanity, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: right? We have to think about how am I going to in the long run, maintain connection, I mean, genuinely feel joy. Mm. right? And so so that's the A E I O U. And the why, um, again, this is Brene Brown's words. She says, Yay, what went well today? So,
1: okay, so, that's good.
0: so the why is not about, again, like it could be once in a while, it could be, I got this thing done. That's fine. But I think you want to be expanded from that. What are you grateful for? That's mm-hmm. what the why is, right? And you want it to be very specific so that you notice more things you're grateful for over time. I think all of us will be grateful for some of the big things like having a home, having the ability to receive health care, or mm-hmm to have the opportunity to work or be in school or you know all of these big things that you know are easier to notice that we're grateful for which are important to be grateful for but in addition to that it's also important to be grateful for the little things that happen in the day like my roommate unloaded the dishwasher for me and I didn't have to do it just going back to the initial example So that's the A-E-I-O-U-Y tool. And I'm gonna share one more because it's easier. And it's the one I started with. It's the three Cs. So the three Cs stand for courage, compassion, connection. So if you can't think of all of those things, this is a good place to start. And talking about the authenticity, this is a tool to really help you figure out if that's happening for you. Mm-hmm. So courage, meaning not courage in the terms of like, you know, the way we think about it in terms of being a hero, but in t- more in terms of what's courageous for me, right? If, if I'm a more shy person and I'm afraid to speak up because I'm worried about um, sounding stupid or something like that, it depends on the reason. Maybe some people are quiet and that's not really the reason why, and they're just genuinely comfortable in their own skin. So then it wouldn't apply, right? So, what's courageous for me? Would finding a small step towards coming out of my bubble and taking that little risk be courageous for me, right? If I'm the type of person that is the opposite, where I talk a lot and I talk a lot a lot a lot because I want to you know show my value or my worth and that's how I kind of cope with my insecurity then how can I be courageous in stepping back a little
1: mm-hmm.
0: right so it's so she talks about it in that way like whatever is courageous for you really depends on how your perfectionism and how you hustle for your worthiness Okay. Mm -hmm. And then, so that's courage, compassion. So the antidote to the shame and guilt is compassion. And we have to have to start to find ways to encourage more compassion. So whether that's having compassion for each other and trying to judge less, but then also taking it a step further to how do I then extend that compassion to myself And the way I talk to myself in my head, would I ever talk to someone I love that way? Hmm. Right?
1: That's a good question, right?
0: Yeah, and then connection. Connection's the last one where, because perfectionism creates so much disconnection, how can I connect? And it doesn't have to be with another human being you have to connect in some way. So whether it's you're connecting through the pandemic, sometimes we may have to connect with ourselves, right? Because that's the person that's available. And we connect with ourselves in some way. We do something that nurtures us. Or we connect with nature mm-hmm. by going for a walk, right? Or walking around trees and just noticing the change in season. Or we connect with another person. So it's just connecting in a way that makes you feel some sense of joy. So that those are the two tools that I would share.
1: Those are fantastic and fantastic things even just to think about um, in terms of compassion and thinking about ourselves um, in respectful and loving ways.
0: Yeah, and I think like it really lends itself to the pandemic, the last one, because mm. you know, we're, we're all going through uncertainty and hard times right now. And it can, you know, one of the ways that people have been coping is focusing on accomplishing things. And that's not necessarily, like I said, a bad thing. It's just recognizing that if you're having a hard time accomplishing things right now, that's also part of what happens when we're experiencing more stress. Mm. So then it allows you to practice that second C of compassion. So I just wanted to share that.
1: That's fantastic. Yeah, we're not, <clears throat> many of us are not at our best in this moment and in time. And it's so helpful to think about ourselves in more compassionate ways right now. Yeah. Arthi, thank you so much for talking about yourself and being vulnerable with me today and with Mm -hmm. the audience. It's such a nice uh, offering. Thank you.
0: Yeah. I love talking about this.
1: I don't want to reward your perfectionism. So I'm going to say that you did a really good job (laughs) and the the real thing that I, that I connected to was, was your vulnerability. And Mm -hmm. so for that, I'm going to give you a sticker. You get, you get, Star.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm actually looking for a physical sticker. I'm so. going to send you one.
1: I'm going to mail you one. I promise you to mail you a star.
0: I like really shiny, big stickers. Okay.
1: <laughs> so this concludes today's episode. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions feedback on our episodes, suggestions for future topics, or wish to book an appointment with our counselors, please send us an email at letstalk at georgebrown.ca. Come by again, and let's talk.